0: Hi, and welcome to We Can Be Real. I started this podcast because nothing makes me happier than connecting with people that I know and love and getting to share experiences and insights with people that I'm meeting here for the very first time. I'll share my own stories and invite guests to join me in conversations that will hopefully make us laugh, make us feel seen and understood, and will come away with more knowledge and information that can help us in one way or another. Here we go. Hi, and welcome to We Can Be Real. Today is my very first taping of my very first episode, and I thought about how I wanted to start and what I wanted to start with. And in getting to know me, I feel it's very important that I share one of the things that make me me, and that's really starting with my binge eating disorder that I started as a young girl. And anyone that knows me, and for my audience, new people to know me, it's so much about who I am, and I wanna start there. I had a very normal, I say in quotations, normal childhood. My parents were happily married. I had a brother, a younger brother and a dog. And my dad was a orthodontist and came home at 5.30, dinner on the table. I had friends, I had good grades. I was happy, everything was good. I didn't think about body image. I I loved boys, I was always boy crazy, but it was never about how I looked. I just was having fun in my life. And then about 12 or 13, My mother took me for my annual checkup right before my bat mitzvah, I think. And the pediatrician alarmed my very tall, thin, beautiful, thin optimum word mom and said, Ellen gained too much weight this year. She gained 15 pounds, 20 pounds, whatever it was. And my mother thought she was doing a lousy job. She was an overprotective, anxious mother to begin with. And she heard that as, oh my goodness, I'm failing. I'm making my daughter chubby. What am I going to do? And nothing that happened in my household was ever because my mom was a bad mother, a mean mother. If anything, she just wanted to be protective. She wasn't a critical mother. It was just fear of me getting heavy and her being told by this doctor that I'd gained too much weight. So at that point, she decided that she was going to limit my sugar intake. So my brother, two years younger, underweight, skinny little kid, she would hide the Oreos from me. And they were in a cabinet above the refrigerator that I would have to stand in a chair to get. And my foods were, you know, carrots and celery and and those things and maybe a rice cake. I mean, it was really, she went overboard and... I'm not mad at my mom at all. We're very close and I love her, but she didn't know what she was doing. (laughs) So with that, it became a heated subject for me. And I would go to friends' homes and I would eat all their sugared cereal. And I remember getting a high from it. I was starting to overdo it and it was sort of this high. And there were jokes in my friend's houses. Oh, Ellen's coming. And, you know, hide the whisk. You know, it was a joke. We laughed about it because at that point I was young. It wasn't getting in the way. I didn't feel fat yet. It was more about laughing with my friends around it and hiding it from my mother. As the years went on, by the time I was 14, 15, I really started to like boys a lot. Now I was really chubby and I was not meeting with the same success as my friends. I remember. At 13 or 14, one of the boys, they were talking about whose boobs were bigger. And this is one of my first vivid memories of really feeling less than. And the boy, who was my friend, he wasn't even being mean. He was young and dumb. He said, we can't tell with you because your stomach is so big. And I remember being so devastated at that. So now the relationship with food, now it became super unhealthy because food now was making me look a certain way, not look a certain way. You know, I had been popular with girls, boys. Now it was, it was different. My friends were skinny and the cheerleaders. I didn't make the cheerleading squad. I was super boy crazy and needy of attention because I wasn't getting it. And then I started to feel fat. And then I started smoking pot at 14, 15. And then it was the munchies. So now it was sneak eating sugar, sneaking pot, And I would go to friends' houses and I literally would eat an entire box of golden grams, And I would eat the entire bag of cookies or pretzels. And the parents would make a joke, but I think it was almost annoying. The parents of my friends, they loved me, but it was almost a sad joke. You know, my mother would Watch, and she would say, "What did you eat?" And I would say, "Nothing." And you know, I would come home tired from all the sugar and the pot. So I was sneaking a lot of things, and my self esteem really, really plummeted. Um, I had been a very good student. My grades now were—I was not doing well. My parents ended up actually after tenth grade; they took me out of public school where I had all my friends, and they sent me to a private school because I was not doing well in the public school my parents didn't think it was the right fit. And I was very sad about going, but I thought it was it was new and I could reinvent myself. And I still had the same, same cycle with the food, but I remember dieting that summer. And that's when dieting started really becoming something where I would do deprivation diets. I remember before that junior year of high school, my mom put me on some restrictive diet I wanted to. I felt disgusting and fat, and I would cry how gross I felt. And it was, you know, I'd have warm water with lemon and scallops. I barely eat scallops to this day because I OD'd on them. But it was all very clean and very green. And by the time I went junior year to this new school, it was mostly boys. It had been an all boys prep school, and then girls were allowed. So the ratio was like. You know, seven to one, it was great. <laughs> and I had lost a lot of weight. So I went to school looking good and pretty. And my grades, I cut down on the weed. I wasn't binge eating at that time. And I got a really cute boyfriend and my grades were great and everything was good. And then I think that the whole Psychosexual piece of this, you know, I had a boyfriend and I felt my mother was very, she's really sounding like a winner. My mother, poor thing. My mother wanted me to be the good girl. And when I said, I love my boyfriend. I, I'm ready to have sex with him, which I was close enough to my mom to say, I want to go on the pill. She said, Oh, no, no, you have to be a virgin when you get married. Now I'm 61. So that was a long time ago. I was 17 at the time. You have to be a virgin when you get married. I did it anyway, obviously, took myself to Planned Parenthood, and I was smart about that. But I think that my old habits, I had so much guilt around this relationship and being sexual, and I was smoking a lot of weed again. I started eating, and I was not getting the love from this boy that I loved him much more than he loved me. If you're listening, Michael, hello, loved him. I started gutting into old habits with my eating, with the weed, and the weight started to come on. And I think a lot of it, I've been in therapy and I did a lot of my own analysis. I think that I put on the extra weight because it kept me from being sexual. You're not having that much fun in bed, or at least I wasn't when you're feeling really heavy and out of control. So I just, it started to spiral and it really started to get worse. I, I think I must've gained 20 or 30 pounds that year. By the time I went to college again that summer, I was on a total deprivation. I was bound and determined with my mother's help and support. I was going to go to college feeling good, looking thin. I had dieted, I must've lost 30 pounds that summer and it was very black or white. You know, it was 28 days without sugar. And I remember it was really, it was giving up a drug. It was, there was no middle of the road. My mother was convinced that sugar was the enemy. And, you know, we were not knowledgeable. There was never a therapist that could help me with my eating disorder. I didn't really even know what to call it. I didn't know what binge eating disorder was. I knew that I was using food and I had a habit around food, but we didn't, there wasn't a name for what I was doing at that time. And I lost all that weight, went up to college. And by Christmas time, I was already 40 pounds up, 40 pounds. My parents would pick me up, my clothes weren't fitting me. The cycle started and I maintained that cycle of gaining and losing weight, deprivation diets every year for four years of college. So that cycle continued and I dealt with food. I used to, it used to be just going to a friend's and I'd have a box of cereal and it was with my friends. We would be laughing. We would be high. I ate five times the amount that they did But I was also going home to the house that didn't allow me to have any sugar. So it was was different. But in college is when it really became a full-blown, crazy binge eating disorder. And it was no longer just overeating, laughing with friends. It became this dark, awful, scary, scary out-of-control thing. I would lock myself in my room you know, my friends would bang on the door, you know, we know you're in there. I would go to a store and I would pretend out loud. I, I, I've i shared this with many people, but I would go to the 7-Eleven by myself and I would say out loud to the sales clerk, because I didn't want him to think that all that food was for me. I would say, oh, Kathy will have the M&Ms. Oh, right. Wait, what did Sarah want? Right. Sarah wanted the chocolate cookies and oh, would hold on. Right. Kathy wanted the Haagen-Dazs. Like it mattered what he thought, but I was so humiliated that like now I, I feel good about myself and my body 40 years later. But at that time being overweight, I thought that everyone would think, Oh, look at her, you know, fat girl going home alone, eating all that food. I was so embarrassed. So I would take all the food. I'd spend 20 bucks, which was a lot in, you know, 1980 at uh, 82. And I would get it into my apartment at the time I had my own apartment and I would lock the door and I would eat graham crackers, M&Ms, Haagen-Dazs ice cream. Then I'd have some salty stuff. And it was a cycle, kind of the same stuff over and over. And I would eat it till I was so full that I would sleep. I won't say I passed out, but I was groggy. It made me groggy. And the habit of binging became a ritual. I did it all the time. And now I was gaining tons of weight. I was the heaviest I had ever been. I felt disgusting about myself. I didn't go to class. I couldn't. My clothing was not fitting. My friends would come into my room and they'd say, they'd go out, they'd come back to my apartment. I'd get high with them and we'd laugh. And I was a big pothead in college, full disclosure. And I would hear about their night and I would say, you know, all right, I'm going to be really good this week. And next week, I'm definitely going out with you guys. And sometimes during the week, I would go to deprivation I was not bulimic fortunately for me i really had just a binge eating disorder and i i say fortunately the hard part was i couldn't get the weight off fast enough when you binge it wreaks havoc on your body i know people that have had to have hysterectomies because of the damage they done they have had decayed teeth because the acid of the the vomit is you know decays their teeth thank god i never was able to make myself throw up i tried That being said, I couldn't get the weight off fast enough. So I would binge. And then the next day I would have a scrambled egg and a piece of toast and I would exercise. So I would sort of starve myself for a day or two. So maybe by the weekend, if I had been good, I also say in quotes, I would be able to go out with my friends and we'd have a fun night. And I would flirt with boys to no avail because I looked miserable. I tried. It was just It was just awful. Rejection, not fun, not good, no self-esteem. And then the cycle would repeat. So I would occasionally go out with my friends. And by Christmas, my clothing did not fit. So they would come into my room and they'd say, come on, you're coming out with us tonight. And I would say, you find me one thing in my closet that fits. Find me a pair of jeans and I'll go out with you. These are my best friends. And some of them are still my best friends to this day. We would stand in my closet. I would try and get myself into the jeans, almost making fun. That's probably why they laughed. Um, it was sad, you know, crying behind, the, smiling behind the tears and nothing fit. And they would say, you're right. I mean, they, they wouldn't, the jeans wouldn't go up my body. You know? So I was in sweatpants or a bathrobe and I didn't go out. And that became, that was my cycle for four years. And finally, I was so terrible. It was so, so, so bad. I was just a wreck. And I told my mother, I can't do this. I think I already had one letter from the school. You know, I was going to get kicked out and I decided to take a leave of absence with my parents' support. We lost money. I had paid for my, for college. I had paid for my apartment. It was, a, it was a big expense to my parents, but they were supportive and I was desperately unhappy. My mother in the back of Glamour magazine, she was desperate to help me. And I, I was as low as a kid could be. I really was. I was not suicidal. I would not that that's not my nature, fortunately, but I was as sad a, as someone could be. And she found a woman, a therapist, who specialized, and I had been in therapy, a specialist that dealt with eating disorders. And she ran groups for women suffering from binge eating, bulimia, anorexic. And my mother, in her wisdom, and she's very smart. She reached out to this woman and I was okay going. I was that desperate. And I stayed for the weekend with this woman, Dr. Marlene Boscan White. I think she actually runs a clinic at Duke University. I don't know if she, she probably retired at this point, but she really became very renowned and, and well-known for what she did. She was amazing. And the group of women, it was for women like me, but worse off they were worse off. I say that because they all were either anorexic or they were bulimic. I was the only one in the group that didn't throw up and I wasn't anorexic. I didn't see myself as fat when I was thin. I saw myself as fat when I was fat. I I didn't have any body dysmorphia and I didn't throw up. So I was stronger than the other women in the group. And I don't say that as a way of, oh, I'm better. It was none of that, but I felt There was hope for me. Like, okay, wow, she's losing her teeth. She hasn't gotten her period in three years. Oh my goodness. And we all shared our experience. And Marlene taught us that we should find something that we can focus on more than food. And that this food thing, it wasn't that we had deep emotional issues. It was, at least for me, I did not have, I had a habit. I had developed a wicked habit of binge eating. I crave the habit of the binge. I crave the taste of the food. And if I could break that habit of the binging, which sounds like, oh, just break the habit, it was hard. My takeaway from that weekend was, yes, I stayed in touch with the women. So we supported each other. And I'm a a huge believer in support groups. I run a group now, Coffee and Commitment, for women that are also suffering with, with a binge eating disorder. I believe in the power of a group wholeheartedly but we got support from each other. We stayed in touch. But my biggest takeaway, she said, find something that you love and that you can think about as much, if not more than you think about food. Well, all I thought about was food and boys. That was it. And pot maybe. And I did not, I was underdeveloped intellectually. I had really just eaten and smoked and like boys, I all my interest in horseback riding and tennis and Other things, they fell to the wayside because of my disordered eating and these bad habits that I had. And I remember my college roommate's father was a runner, and he still is. Shout out to Monty. (laughs) And I remember thinking, wow, he has such a nice relationship with food. But he runs, and he comes in from his runs looking. He would talk about the high that he got. And I didn't have anything that gave me a high other than food, marijuana, and being boy crazy. And I decided at that weekend, I was going to start becoming a runner. And listen, it was not an easy transition, but I came home and I was bound and determined. I used the girls in the group. We would reach out to each other. And I made a decision that I would start. I bought myself running sneakers and I started with one lap around my block. I was super overweight, super out of shape, and I was determined. And I never binged again after that weekend it wasn't easy i had to you know sit with myself i had to understand that i was giving up a habit there was nothing wrong with me i wasn't an ill person i just had developed a wicked habit and over time i broke the habit i started thinking more about hey i'm going to do another round i went one i went once around the block for a week and then the next week i went twice around the block and then by the third week three times and to make a long story short i ended up running a marathon you know in 2000 and I think year two, 2000, I ran a marathon. I, I became a really an avid runner. I loved it. I was never the fastest girl on the block, but I loved it and I got the high and I thought through my problems on a run. I didn't even listen to music. I just ran and thought and it healed me and saved me. And this therapist at that time, her just saying that, what can you think about instead of only thinking about food? It shifted and that was the end of my binge eating. Now that's not to say that over the last 40 years, I have worked through my relationship with food and I have a, a very healthy, that took other. That took more decades and we can save that for the next episode. But what I've shared with you today is my history with developing my binge eating disorder and licking my binge eating disorder and stopping myself. And then I went back to college for a second senior year. Thank you, dad. (laughs) And I finished and I was binge free. So fast forwarding to where I am now, I nailed the eating disorder beautifully. I haven't had a binge in 40 years. And most importantly, I haven't had a desire to binge. I have gone through so many things in my life. I had had a divorce, never thought about binge eating. It was never a go-to. It's more, let me go take a bath. I so broke that habit and I love food. And it doesn't mean that I don't have lovely, delicious, yummy food. I love food. I love food passionately. I always will. It's one of my top five pleasures of my life, but it's not disordered. I don't thought of pigging out in mass quantities of food is no longer part of me. And not because I try, just because I'm healthy and normal. When I got into my coaching 10 years ago, I never thought that I would work with or help people around food. It was actually something that people had said, you know, Ellen, do you want to do the food thing? Because, you know, you you nailed that and you're no longer a binge eater. And I said, no, you know what? I spent so much of my life talking about it, thinking about it. I don't really want to do that professionally. So in my About Me on my website, I do talk about it because, it, as I said, it's a huge part of who I am. Anyone that knows me knows that, and it is, it always will be. It even affected how I raised my children, and that's for another session. I'm going to even get my girls on to talk about the bad job that I didn't know. Kidding, we're very close. But yes, I got rid of my binging 40 years ago, but it really took me decades longer to be okay with food to not be afraid of food. I said I gave up binging. I never said that I wasn't still afraid of gaining weight. Those are very separate issues. That took me another couple decades, truthfully, to really be no food is taboo, and I will get into that further. But in my website, I mentioned in my About Me that I had a binge eating disorder, that I dropped out of college, and that I am binge-free, and that I got help. So people came to me. I would get calls from my website on clients. Hey, I'm, I've am i suffered from a binge eating disorder. You talked about it. So all of a sudden I was getting a lot of inquiries. Could I help them with binge eating? I could never turn anyone down. And I was really good at it. And I cared so much. I felt their pain. They felt seen and heard. And they see me as this thin woman that has a healthy relationship with food, because now I do. And that exercise I love to eat I share with them stories of my past we talk about how much you know a client will say oh my god that ice cream was so good and I'm like right aren't you so sad when it's over i mean i so get them my clients i have a client that lost 100 pounds so how could i turn away someone that is suffering with something that i suffered with as well so it is certainly not the basis of my practice it's actually a small part of what i do but it is an important part of what i do I love it. And I have some groups that I run because I'm a big believer. And yes, the one-to-ones are great. Finding a great coach or therapist to help you with a binge eating disorder, terrific. But the support of a group. So I did start running these coffee and commitment, I called them. And I would get clients together, eight women at a time. And we would have sessions and I would help them and they would help each other. They would exchange phone numbers and we did a Facebook group. So, the power in that, and many of them are binge free, have lost weight, and they have a much healthier relationship with food and they're not depriving themselves. So, learning how to eat and learning how to like food, enjoy food, and it's not, I always say, you can eat anything you want, just not everything you want all on the same day. That's been a journey for me and I'm happy to say that I now have a really healthy relationship with food and my body. And I have apologized to my children if I, if I had given them any issue and fear around food. My husband would bring in bagels every Sunday. And this is before I was healthy with my fear of carbohydrates. And I used to be like, seriously, Gary, every Sunday bagels? You know, he would laugh. Now I have a bagel every Sunday. He's laughing in heaven that actually I'm a convert and I believe in bagels every Sunday too. My children are happy and healthy and have a wonderful, healthy bodies and healthy relationship with food as well. But that was in spite of some of the messages that they got from me, not because of me. Um, and they still love me. Like I still love my mom and she didn't do everything right. We do the best that we can with love. So I think I'll stop there and I will see you again next time. And we can talk more about The next part of my food journey, which was learning how to have a healthy relationship with food and not being afraid of a carb or a bagel. See you next week. If you like what you're hearing and would like to work with me, you can reach out through DM or email at Schweitzer at gmail.com. Unlike many coaches, I don't have packages that I sell and people have to commit to three months of working with me. My feeling is people come session at a time. If you're finding value in our sessions and want to keep coming back, then you do. I help people with loneliness, developing healthy habits, self-esteem, and grief, or anything else that makes us human. Again, you can reach me through DM or at lngschweitzer at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening to We Can Be Real. I hope you enjoyed this episode and if you did, I would be so happy and appreciative if you would leave a review wherever you listen. Like and follow the show and share it with someone that you think would enjoy it too. To learn more about the podcast and about me, find me on Instagram at Ellen Schweitzer underscore life coach or my website ellenschweitzer.com. See you next week.